You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. I feel like I put a lot of pressure on myself because when I personally, which I'm sure it's the same for you or anyone else, like if I put my voice on something, I just hear my voice. So it's like, even when I'm trying to sound a little different, I can still pinpoint how I sound. So it's, it's, it's a fun thing for me to experiment with when I do a different style project to do everything in my power to kind of differentiate what my sound is, maybe write my, my patterns and things like placement just a little bit differently. If, if I'm used to doing a little bit longer screams here, maybe I'll shorten it up and be a little bit more punchy, whatever it is. I just kind of experiment with things that I'm not used to doing. And if it comes out sounding too much like me, I, you know, I'm not going to put it out to the public just because I want to stretch myself as a vocalist. I don't want to just be, as you said, like Adam Clemens is on this. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. Hope you had a glorious weekend. I most certainly did. This Vox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal are Montreal's premier metal promoter, and we just announced that we will be putting on Heavy Montreal Presents Vox and Hops Brutal Montreal 2022 on September 2nd at Corona Theater featuring Deicide, who will be performing their classic album Legion in its entirety, along with Cataclysm, who will be performing their classic album Serenity and Fire in its entirety, as well as with Inhuman Condition. The tickets for Brutal Montreal 2022 are now on sale and are available via the link in the description of this podcast. This is going to be a killer night, and you should absolutely pick up your tickets if you want to come because it's going to sell out. This is a unique metal and beer festival that is happening in Montreal. I'm going to be there. You should come hang out with me and enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. But you got to get your tickets now. I am so damn stoked to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Before we jump into today's episode, I would just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I'm asking you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there's someone in your life that you know loves metal and craft beer, well, you should tell them that the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast exists. You could tell them that there are over 300 episodes available where I sit down with killer metal musicians and we talk all about craft beer. If you would encourage one of your friends to become a future Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today on the podcast, I'm with Adam Clemens of Skeleton Witch, Pulchra Mukhte, and Shaidar Logoth. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops, episode number 337. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I am with Adam Clemens of Skeleton Witch, Pulchamorte, Shaidar Logoth. He is the packaging control a quality control dude behind Barrel Theory Beer Company. Uh, this is a long time coming conversation. We tried to do this back in the fall of 2020. It didn't happen much to Andrew Garrity, the three-time Vox and Hops alumni's dismay. <laughs> but he hung out with you when he was on tour uh, just recently. And uh, he hit me up. He says, if you don't do this, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. 
<laughs> so here we that are. That sounds about right. <laughs> Adam, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm very, very excited to be with you. Um, if Gar- Garrity, I love him to death. I ha- I think he might be the only three-time return guest. So that says something. Uh, let's jump into it, right into the deep end. Let's talk about the shitty stuff before we can have some fun. How did you cope with the glorious years, plural, of 2020, 2021, and hopefully not 2022? Yeah. Um, I mean, just like a lot of other people, it was like, it's definitely very shocking to be away from being on the road and being able to do what we all love to do. But in, in certain ways, it was definitely kind of very fruitful for me on certain ends as well, as I was able to finally kind of get my feet on the ground at home and starting to jump into working more with barrel theory and stuff and allowing them, allowing me to a little bit of growth there at the company and everything definitely took a lot of focus for me, which was very, very nice to have. Um, I mean, besides that, I ended up getting married last fall. And I bought my first house, so... Congrats. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, other than that, just trying to work on as much music as I can, just like everybody else, but it's been tough, for sure. Well, you've definitely been very productive leading up to the pandemic with so many projects. Um, You know, we'll touch on that later, the balance of everything. That's always something that baffles me when I speak to musicians that are in so many projects uh, but you hit on a few key things uh, getting married congrats for that uh, the house Thank you. Um, jumping in deeper into a brewery uh, working there uh, is something that probably wouldn't have been possible had you been on tour uh, probably eight months out of the year if you're in that many bands because every band probably wants a little piece of you so, <laughs> yeah. so there's some some slight um, minor blessings right there <laughs> definitely <laughs> absolutely <laughs> A reprieve from touring nonstop. (laughs) Let's talk about beer. Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives, music, and craft beer. Uh, I just saw you take a a sip of something nice and hazy right there. What are we going to be sharing virtually tonight? Uh, Present us what you got on your side tonight. So, of course, I had to grab a Barrel Theory beer. This is uh, our double hazy IPA with uh, all citra hops called Shooter McGavin. Love it. Shout out to Happy Gilmore. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, super, super good. I have my description of what Citra Hops makes me think of. Like, I love it. I love it, but there's something that comes to mind when I smell Citra Hops. What what comes to mind for you? When I smell the Citra? Yeah. Nice, dank weed. Oh, yeah. For for me, it's a bit farty for some reason. Yeah, it definitely, that's where the dank comes from, I think. You know, it's like a basement smell, but it's, it's a nice basement smell. It's, it's one, it's, there's a reason why it's so goddamn popular, and they're perfect. Exactly. It's a perfect hop for IPAs. On my side, uh, I knew you were deep into the beer industry, so I'm, I reached in and I grabbed something that I just got, uh, something special, a beer that I, whenever I have to do a beer review, which I'm not an expert, I just write what I feel and see about what beers I am. I'm definitely not a Cicerone. I'm just a dude that likes craft beer. This one's always intimidating. Uh, this is the fifth version of this uh, in a series, the fifth of this a series of this beer. This is A La Fu. A La Fu are uh, basically the OGs of barrel aging here in Quebec. Um, they okay. have been doing it since the 90s, I want to say, and they are really the best. Uh, for the past year, they've been teaming up with super hype uh, haze breweries to do a blended beer. So they basically take uh, their Cuvée Western, which is the closest thing that you can get to a Lambic-style beer 
here in the province of Quebec, and uh, they blend it with uh, IPAs. Uh, this is the fifth brewery that they've done that with. This specific one is with A La Souche, which is a very cool brewery uh, outside of the city of Quebec, uh, in the province of Quebec. And uh, this is a, so basically it's a blend of their Cuvée Western, A La Fuse, and, um, and La Souche's Cryolou, which is a uh, double New England IPA that's been hopped with five hops, and three of those hops are cryo hops. So a mouthful right there. 8%. Um, I think yours as well is 8%. Let me crack this. And as I crack this, I'd love to hear about your very, very first beer. Very first beer. Um, we have to go back to definitely probably a Miller High Life. I think it was. <laughs> I think I nagged my dad into finally letting me have a taste and <laughs> didn't care for it. But I came back to it a few years later and I loved it. <laughs> Dude, you can pound like 70 of them. They're like, what, they're 2.53%? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I remember through Miles Scream, my band before Cryptopsy, we went to play Milwaukee Metal Fest back when it wasn't cool anymore or after it was cool. <laughs> and that was for, we didn't know. And we went to like a supermarket. We went to a store and we picked up some beers and we wanted a lot of them. We picked up the high life. Little did we know that we weren't getting drunk that night. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No one came to the show. We didn't get drunk. We drove 19 hours back and forth for basically no reason. But it was fun. Actually, I met David Elvison, David Elvison that night, so it, it wasn't all bad. There you go. <laughs> You're stuck in Milwaukee, though. So <laughs> let's let's see what this got. Cheers to you. Cheers, Matt. So you got like the weird funk on the nose from the Cuvée Western, and then also like some juiciness, almost like tangerine. Interesting. That looks nice. Super sour, but then like it rolls into like a juicy, fresh. It's like a, a unripe <laughs> tangerine. Is really what it tastes like because it's sour but yet super juicy. This is cool. Uh, a little earthy because of the uh, the QV Western. Cool. Eight percent. You don't taste that. It's going to be a good night. Let's jump into. Do you know what cryo hops are? No, I know what cryo hops are, but they don't say okay, which good, ones they are on this one. Right on. Yeah. Uh, for people that are listening that don't know what cryo hops are, tell them. Uh, cryo hops are basically just like, it's it's hop oil. It's extract, basically. That So it's very, very condensed, and you usually get a little bit more of the punch of the hop as well as the flavor. So it can be kind of intense if you're not used to cryo hops. I know that breweries love it because they can use less hops. Mm-hmm. And then they end up saving a bit of money that way, which is at least that's what Yaki <laughs> the Chief Hops told me. Shout sure, out, to, shout out sure. to Luke from Yakima Chief Hops. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Let's talk about craft beer uh, from Miller High Life to craft beer. What is that journey? Do you remember that moment or the beer when you were like, oh, my God, beer can be something more than my dad's shitty high life? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, being on tour with uh, like my second band or so, we were at this kind of like craft beer bar. And I know it's not technically considered like a craft beer at this point, but Back then, it was like a little bit more rare to find in the States, but I had a, a Stella Artois. And just because it, it had a little bit more like a, of a skunky flavor to it, I was like, you know, I'm, I smoke. So I really like the kind of like cannabis notes that you get from that. And I didn't, I didn't realize that it was the hops that were kind of giving the beer that flavor. But I did notice that all beers that came in green bottles had that kind of flavor to it. So for a really long time there, it was just green bottled beer. 
until I kind of started trying to educate myself on why I was gravitating towards these beers. And then it was right around then when I had uh, Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale and Bell's Two-Hearted. And those were kind of like the two first hop-centric beers that really just kind of got me. And ever since then, I've been an IPA fan. Hmm. I definitely was on the Green Bottle phase fad as well. I loved it. Um, But I have heard that the Green Bottles, uh, the skunkiness actually comes from the light that affects the beer because it's going through the Green Bottle. So it actually... It's the hops plus that light, which is why a lot of breweries are transitioning towards cans, which is, you know, or the aluminum companies are encouraging them by saying that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and I'll, I'll, you know, Sierra Nevada is a key beer in my life. I remember being, I've said it so many times on the podcast, playing the masquerade and that night going and buying some and never looked back. Love, love, love the hops. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you ever think that you'd work in the craft beer industry? Um, it was something I was like kind of in the back of my mind wanted to do. Like I started home brewing a few times with a couple different buddies and I enjoyed that process, but I also knew it was just one of those industries where unless you had kind of an in into the industry or you were very well educated, you went to college and did that whole thing, like it, it's very hard to crack into. So I just kind of lucked out by just being a beer nerd in general and going to Barrel Theory and kind of basically pestering (laughs) the people who work there being like, if you need anyone to work here, it's me. Like, I'll do it. I'll do it. And, you know, it ended up working out in the end. So what was that first job that they gave you? Um, I started. So I worked underneath the original packaging lead. Like I came in as a packaging assistant. And then on the weekends, I would work tap room shifts. Okay. Packaging is very important in craft beer, especially when there's distribution. Uh, speak, speak to people on that. It's my responsibility, basically, to just make sure that I send out a good representation of our company to, you know, liquor stores and anyone who buys to go beer. They're bringing that home, and I need to give them the same experience that they would get in our tap room. So it's a, it's up to me to make sure that you know the seams on the cans are perfectly tight, so the beer doesn't oxidize and there's so many things to it that it's basically like when you boil it down, it's just quality control. But it's, 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 you know, your biggest enemy is oxygen right there. It's, it's absolutely, it's, you know, if not, it's going to foam, it's going to re-ferment depending on the beer. Um, it's going to oxidize and it's going to not be gorgeous like this. It's going to be brown and disgusting, which we've all come across, I'm sure. So, so good for you. Good for you all. Uh, I think it's awesome. Um, Let's talk on the, the similarities between the metal scene. As you mentioned, you had to have an in to get into the craft beer industry. It's almost the same thing as the music industry in that aspect. You know, the reason that you're in one, two, three, four bands <laughs> is because you're a cool guy and, and you can deliver on stage and you can write creatively and bring something extra to a band. Uh, but everyone had to vote for you, basically. So it's probably the same thing as in the beer industry. Yeah, there's definitely similarities there. I think it's very interesting. <laughs> Let's talk about the soundtrack of your youth. When you are growing up When you were growing up in your parents' or guardians' house, what music was playing? When you were not in control of the radio, what music did your parents or guardians listen to? Um, so my parents were both pretty into music, but it, it, it was kind of an interesting journey there where... When I was very, very young, I would hear music around the house. Like I re- distinctly remember my dad had a record player and he had speakers that were taller than I was at the time. 
And he played a lot of jazz music and blues and then your stereotypical classic rock stuff. Like I grew up listening to a lot of Rolling Stones and Santana and Led Zeppelin, things like that. Um, but it was kind of interesting because I think, you know, my parents are a little bit older for, you know, my generation or whatever. So I feel like they also didn't want to push music down my throat because they expected me to do the stereotypical thing of, you know, go to college, get a really good job. And I feel like they thought music might be a distraction. And then it just happened that, you know, by the time I was in my teens, I started skateboarding and through skateboarding started really diving into music because music is a big part of that culture. Absolutely. And then it was through me truly getting into music on my own where my parents started opening up about their musical interests and like my dad told me he had a record collection and let me look through it you know i didn't really know that my dad had more than two records at the time okay interesting. so it was like it was, it was definitely kind of a a cool experience as i got older i love that and skateboarding is I, i've spoken to a lot of people skateboarding is a huge thing those v, those vhs tapes back in the day discovered and, and motivated and inspired a whole generation of metalheads right now punk rock oh absolutely as well yeah i think it's super yeah weird. i used to i was the kid that i would be sitting there waiting for the credits to go by with like a pen and paper and then the second the song credits came up i would write them down and you know give them to my dad so he could download them on his computer <laughs> <laughs> i love that <laughs> i also used to um i remember watching movies and wait till the credits came up to to see the the songs. This is before I ever sang or anything. Always interested in music. I think that's amazing. How about uh, your parents' reaction to when you brought in extreme music into the house? Were they ready for it? I think they were blissfully unaware. <laughs> is how okay. I'll put Head, it. Headphones are amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like I necessarily hit it. It's just kind of, they just knew that I was already starting to get into weird things before that. So they just like, <laughs> I think they just had their blinders on, so to speak. Because <laughs> before that, I, I was super into punk rock. Like I got into punk rock pretty early through skateboarding. And slowly things, of course, you know, I, I was a teenager. So I'm diving into things that are a little bit faster and a little bit more aggressive. And I think at that point, they were just like, yeah, go ahead and listen to whatever you're going to listen to. Uh, how about your, your very first live music experience? Do you remember going to see a show? Uh, the first show, basically. So the first concert, I guess, I ever went to was uh, I saw The Who and Bob Dylan. That's awesome. When I was like 12 or 13. That's up there. Yeah. That's a yeah. big show. But other than that, I it's weird because I went to so many shows as a teenager, like as far as like punk rock and metal shows that I can't, I can't actually remember which one was first. <laughs> There's like three or four that I, I bounced between. I was like, I think that was first. It was probably four. But I can't remember. In a row. <laughs> exactly. So I'll, it was the who I'll say it was the who. <laughs> that's, that's cool. That's huge. I think that's awesome. Uh, how about your first time on stage? What, what, what were you singing? Were you playing an instrument? What was your first time on stage? Tell me about that. Uh, the first time I ever played any live music was with my high school band. And I was basically just like, at that point in my life, I was just desperate to make music. And I found a few guys through school that were interested in similar enough music where we started playing. And then we had, I think we had two or three like original songs, which 
is crazy when you're like 15. Yeah. Whoa. I can't believe we just wrote some songs. So because of that, I went out of my way to figure out as much as I could, like a way to book a show. And, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So I just basically went around my high school asking people if their parents would let us play at their house. That's, that's, that's step one. That's, you know, when you're, (laughs) you know, you go to who, you know, right. You go to who, you know, you're, you're So I, I ended up talking to a buddy whose family was very musically inclined and they were totally into the idea of having some high school bands play at their house. And so we rented a PA, we got it all set up. I flyered my school for like a straight month and I got like five other bands to play. Also, I could just play these three songs that we wrote <laughs> to about like 12 people, but it was amazing. <laughs> a month of flyering 12 people. I love it. Yep. <laughs> Worked out. It's like Facebook, you know, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> divide by eight and, uh, <laughs> and then you'll see who's coming to your show. <laughs> yep. uh, where are you ready? Those three songs, were you guys prepared? Oh, I was so stoked. Like, I don't even remember being nervous, honestly. Like it, it was, it was so much energy and I was so excited to do it. I, I think after that, it was when I realized like, like I really wanted to pursue doing that because of the fact it was just exciting energy. It wasn't nervous energy. What what style was that band? Uh, were you doing harsh vocals at that point? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was it was basically like you know your average like early two thousands metalcore band. <laughs> how about harsh vocals? Yeah. Uh, when did you discover that you could do that? Uh, how did you discover to do that? And uh, take us through your early days of your your discovering your voice. So the long version of it really is: uh, I really wanted to be a bass guitar player from when i was about 13 14 because um the bass player for the clash specifically like i was just so obsessed with the way he played bass so i begged my parents for a bass guitar and then i very quickly realized like although i was picking it up like the the more heavy and aggressive music i was getting into especially when i found the metal like there was no way i was ever going to be able to play that stuff but when i would hear the the vocals for some reason in my my teenage head i was like i think i can do this i didn't ever try to do it until i got those couple of guys together in high school and we had our very first band practice and you had never I had literally before. never no wow not even like in my bedroom or not anything like that like wow no i just thought that i could do it and we set up a mic and i just kind of went for it and i found where it came from pretty easily i don't I don't maybe because I was in choir my whole life and like I knew how to do these breathing exercises, but I just like kind of I found it kind of weirdly quickly. That's very very amazing, and yeah, uh, <laughs> it's a good thing because <laughs> it could have gone in the polar opposite direction. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and here, you, all you wanted to do was make music, and you finally get these guys into a room, and you're like, no, I guess it's yeah. not for me after all. Back to back to college we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> back to that idea <laughs> this is a heavy montreal presents vox and hops episode uh, talk to me about montreal do you have any memories of playing montreal what does montreal mean to you um my favorite memory i had of montreal is when we played heavy montreal perfect <laughs> i mean it, it was incredible man like i at that point in my career i had only played two or three other outdoor festivals so I, I remember rolling up into the festival ground and how beautiful it is. Like, it's such a cool place t- 
to have a festival. And then, you know, my favorite memory of the whole thing, honestly, was we were driving up to the stage that we were playing and slowly and faintly in the background, I could hear a song that was kind of recognizable, recognizable to me. And slowly I realized it was a cult of Luna and I knew cult of Luna was playing that night, but they were sound checking and there was no one at the festival yet. So I remember I was very in the back of the van. I crawled over two bench seats and like four people. And I was like, let me out of the van. And I ran, <laughs> ran to the stage and I just stood behind the drummer and I watched him sound check for like 20 minutes. And it was triumphant. <laughs> It was pretty awesome. Love Cult of Luna. And uh, it, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, Heavy Montreal is, takes place on an island off of Montreal, and it's a man-made island. When they made the subway system, all of the earth and the dirt that they dug out of the tunnels, they put it in this area, and they constructed an island, which is uh, Saint-Alain, which is very, I love that. I actually didn't know that. Yeah, it's really sick, and I think it's awesome. And and that's it's amazing. Beautiful, beautiful festival grounds, and they drive you around on like little golf carts. It's it's just so much fun. Absolutely, it's great. <laughs> I want to go back. Let's do it. <laughs> um, this episode would not be happening without the the help of Garrity, Andrew Garrity, one of the best humans uh, that I had the pleasure of uh, meeting when I was on tour uh, with Cannibal Corpse. And obituary, uh, he was doing the Devil's Trifecta, as he likes to call it, which is TM, merch, and driving. Abysmal Dawn, um, every night, Abysmal Dawn and Cryptopsy basically shared the same merch area. And the first few weeks, I was like, oh my god, this guy doesn't fucking shut up. (laughs) 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 And, 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 you know, like all fine things, he grew on me, and I love him to death now. Uh, I really like him a lot. We toured together again with Aborted a few times. Um, Really enjoy him. I just actually saw him on that same tour that you saw him on when he came through Montreal before he came through uh, where you're at. Uh, But talk to me about Garrity. I want to hear the best Garrity story that you can tell. (laughs) You were in a band with him, so so Wolfhammer, so so I imagine you have a a bunch. Well, first of all, I I love when people introduce Garrity as being a lovely human being because it's very rare when someone says that. But the people that truly understand him will say that, such as Michelle Ayub, who runs Turbo House, which is the shirt I'm wearing right now. There you go. Yeah, I mean, just like you, the first time I met Garrity, he was was driving Wolfhammer and doing merch, I believe. And man, I just couldn't do it. He was... (laughs) He had something to say about everything, even if he didn't know what the hell was going on. He would be the center of the conversation. But I have like, I don't know, I can't handle people like that. So it was, it was literally a long time for me where I was like, I don't want to be around this guy. Nope, nope. And I don't know what happened, but somewhere in there, he, he broke me down. Now I love him. He's really wonderful. As far as, I don't know, crazy stories, man, there's a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I distinctly remember one of the last Wolfhammer tours we had done together. He he ended up getting a gigantic jar of mushrooms. And uh, (laughs) there were so many days when we would have like little days off or something. And I would be sitting like the bench seat directly behind him. It's, It's 1230 in the afternoon. I'm trying to go to sleep and I would hear that jar just start to loosen up and all of a sudden I sit up and he's just I can picture his face. Like offers me some. 
Like that's just Garrity 101 right there, mm. you know. He's, the best. <laughs> he's a good time. <laughs> so much fun and uh He's doing really well. I'm very excited for everything he's got coming up. Absolutely. And, um, massive cheer. Just a cheers to Garrity right there. <laughs> cheers to Garrity. Love it. I would like to talk about uh, how you've been filling the void of performing. Obviously, you've been busy at Barrel Theory, but uh, there's something about being on stage, that thing that you fell in love with in front of 12 people at a house party. Uh, how have you been filling the void of performing throughout this whole wonderful pandemic we're going through? I think for me, the older I've gotten, I still love performing. Like, I'll always love it. There's, as you said, like, there's just something about performing that you can't really necessarily replace with other things. But as I got older, I definitely realized how much I enjoy the creation process of just writing songs and putting together songs and arranging songs. Like, to me, that's just as fun at this point. It's just a different kind of fulfillment. So one of the big things for me was uh, I picked up my first guitar, really. Like, I ended up buying a guitar and basically trying to teach myself how to play a little bit of guitar just to get the ideas in my head that were in there that I, I had no else, no place else to put those ideas. And then I ended up working with um, a buddy of mine that I've collaborated on a number of different projects with. And at the moment, we're currently working on a, um, a black metal album that I'm playing guitar on. And I've, you know, I've, I've had riffs of mine used on other things like Shidar and Newsrot and things like that, but I've never actually sat and written guitar parts and recorded guitar parts on a release before. So that's been super, super fulfilling. And it's like something I've never tapped into. So it's challenging. And because it's challenging, it's become fun in that way. So it's like a video game when you, finally figure yeah. out how to beat the boss <laughs> right right yeah there's just like a different excitement there that like is completely foreign to me so it makes me even in moments where i get frustrated or i have writer's block or something i get excited to come back to it the next day with a fresh mind what, what would be your biggest uh tactic when it comes to writer's block what, what do you do when you come to a point and there's just nothing coming out what do you do in those instances the, the best part is just walk away i mean just for me, it's just separating from music for the day, you know, like don't even listen to anything because your mind is going to constantly want to try to find how to get over that roadblock. If you come back to it a couple days later, a day later, you'll have a completely fresh mindset and you, you won't even be thinking about where you were stuck before. You just kind of go with something, you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, you're in so many projects. You mentioned, you mentioned Newsrot as well. Uh, t talk to me about being creative, but being creative differently for everything so that it's not just, you know, Adam Clemens is on this. Every, every project has a different feel, so it needs different material and a different approach. H how do you do that? Because it seems complicated to me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it It honestly, it is, you know, um, I feel like I put a lot of pressure on myself because when I personally, which I'm sure it's the same for you or anyone else, like if I put my voice on something, I just hear my voice. So it's like, even when I'm trying to sound a little different, I can still pinpoint how I sound. So it's, it's, it's a fun thing for me to experiment with when I do a different style project to do everything in my power 
to kind of differentiate what my sound is, maybe write my my patterns and things like placement just a little bit differently. If if I'm used to doing a little bit longer screams here, maybe I'll shorten it up and be a little bit more punchy. Whatever it is, I just kind of experiment with things that I'm not used to doing. And if it comes out sounding too much like me, I you know I'm not going to put it out to the public just because I want to stretch myself as a vocalist. I don't want to just be, as you said, like Adam Clemens is on this. Very interesting. I definitely want to touch on the balance of writing. You mentioned working and then stepping away, coming back a few days later. How um, regimented are you? Do, do you have like a schedule that you abide by or is it really just as you feel it? For me, it's just kind of like, unless I'm doing like a skeleton witch record or something that I'm on a little bit of a timeline. I mean, it's just kind of how it comes. I don't really put timelines on any of that stuff. But when my thing is, when I also get stoked on something, I want to do something, I'm going to get it done fairly quick just because I'm so excited about it. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, what's up, Fox and Hopsheads? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right. I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. Uh, let's dig into Skeleton Witch. Uh, I had to step in and replace Lord Worm when he came back and then left again. Um, I've spoken about it at length on the podcast, so I won't get too much into it with you. I was not prepared. Uh, <laughs> uh, how did you prepare yourself to take over for Skeleton Witch? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. I, I was kind of, just from the get-go, I was kind of uh, intrigued that they even thought about me. Just because I'm just such a different vocalist and a different voice than Chance. But of course, like, you know, I, I love those dudes. I, I knew those dudes beforehand and I know how nice those guys are and how easy to be around they are and the music's solid. So it was like, of course I'm gonna I'm gonna step up to the, the challenge. But it was definitely a super interesting uh learning curve because basically like the 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 fan base or whatever was like really, really, really hypercritical. Oh yeah, for sure. You can't, you can't, you don't change their, their favorite fucking thing. <laughs> totally. And I get it. You know, you're attaching to not just a voice, but almost like a personality within the band. It's hard to, I understand that it's hard to get over that change. But for me, it was just so much excitement because it was, it was a chance to try to do something in a style that I really never thought that I would sing over. 
And the main thing was pretty much just learning as much of the old material as I could so I could feel what the energy of the band was in a live setting. So the first big tour I did with those guys, I think I had learned 14 songs that Chance had done. That's a lot of material, you know? So it was like chopping through those songs in a live setting, like that created a good foundation for me to know what I need to do next and how to interject my own sound and my own style into that whole thing. Hmm. That's it. I think you're lucky with that. You got to do that for myself. We only did, we had already written the unspoken King and then I went and did, I think it was five days in Mexico. And then the, the album came out, let's say a month after that. But had I toured and introduced myself as the new vocalist on tour, maybe I would have had more time to mentally prep myself to write sure. Cryptopsy. I'll, I'll be it with Cryptopsy. They wanted something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was also tough too because like, you know, I, when I first did the Apothic gloom, the EP that we did, I mean, I hadn't even played a show with them. Okay. Yet. Okay. We had played in a room a bunch together. So I kind of had a feel for it. But Apothic Gloom, like I, you know, I kind of went in blind, so to speak, because I didn't understand that live energy. And then we toured a bunch. And then when we started working on Devouring Radiant Light, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I knew exactly the approach to take on it. And, you know, I felt 10 times better going into the studio on that album just based on that. And how about the, the reaction? Did you ever find yourself late at night scrolling through comment sections? I mean, I, every once in a while, I read reviews, of course. You, you got to. I always like reading the negative reviews, though. It's the great. only ones I remember. <laughs> yeah. They're more entertaining, even. So, <laughs> so, so you, you just take take it and you laugh at them and you move on. You know that the band yeah. enjoys you. you yeah, enjoy the, the band it. asked me to do it for a reason. Like, if these guys are comfortable, like, let's go, you know. Uh, you've had uh, a bunch of great drummers. With Skeleton Witch, uh, notably James Stewart. I remember when I saw him play, he was playing with Vader. And I remember looking at him and watching him play at Fufune Electric in Montreal from the balcony. I'm like, holy shit, this is probably one of the best drummers I've ever seen. He hits so hard every single fucking hit. I was very impressed. And you also had John Rice for a, bio, for a while. Is that correct? Yes. Now, I've heard that, that John Rice is one of the biggest beer nerds out there. Is that correct? So I was going to make sure I brought this up, but <laughs> he 100% is one of the biggest beer nerds ever. Perfect. And you should talk to him. Perfect. You are not the first person to say that to me, but I will <laughs> ask you for an introduction afterwards. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, talk to me about touring with, with a beer nerd like that. Um, oh, did you have fun? Did you go and enjoy craft beers on the road? Or is he more regimented because he's touring? Um, so that was actually one super fun thing about touring with John is because that point in my life, I was like, because I was such a hophead, I was kind of burnt out. And I feel like everyone, like when they first really start diving into craft beer, you do have a burnout period. And for me, it was just like, I felt like every beer that was coming in that was hoppy, was just, it was like an IBU race. Like how big can you get that IBU? That's not fun to drink at a certain point. So I kind of reverted to just drinking like pilsners and lagers and just table beers. And um, it was that tour that we brought out, John, where I noticed John was like, you know, he would session on IPAs. And I, I just found that so weird because in my mind, 
you know, they're still fucking jacking up the IBUs and things. And he told me, you know, by the end of this tour, I will have you try a newer IPA that is going to get you back into craft beer. Like, let's put money on it kind of thing. And it was, so, okay, let's do this. Like, show me what you got. And I remember he brought um, a growler of a hazy IPA from this place called Brew Gentleman. And I poured it in the green room, and I remember being really, really weirded out by the color of the beer. (laughs) That's exactly what I thought it was. I was like, what the hell is this? He's like, it's an IPA. I was like, there's no fucking way this is an IPA. (laughs) It's not amber in color. Like, what is... I took one sip, and it was over. Like, that was was the moment where I became truly into craft beer. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I thought I was bad in my first phase getting into beer, but this just, like... <laughs> and then, and then the same thing is happening to the generation that are getting into craft beer now. Everyone that became a hophead, but this new age hophead that are all into New England's and stuff, they're doing the exact same thing that you did back in the day, where they're all going crispy now. Yeah, I'm, it is interesting that loggers are starting to become like almost like a fad within the craft brewing industry now. Huge here in Montreal. My local, very close, my neighbors basically, the, the closest craft beer brewery to my house, uh, Melon. Uh, they make drinkable beers and they're mostly just crispy. Love the lagers and I will go and buy some tomorrow, honestly. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know who John is, John Rice, a uh, you know, job for a cowboy drummer. Um, he actually played with uh, Behemoth when uh, the drummer was injured there and he's played with a bunch of other people as well he's currently drumming for uncle acid and the dead Beats. exactly yes thank you yeah boom <laughs> let's talk about collabs i love beer collabs i've released uh, probably 33 to 35 of them in the past year uh let's talk about uh if you could create your own beer collab uh for skeleton witch uh, for any of your projects uh have you done that if you've already had it, i apologize um but what style of beer would it be and what would you call it uh skeleton which has done a few collabs so far we did two with three floyds brewing one was a uh it was a barrel aged saison with tart cherries and then we also did a, a sour ipa as well and then we also did one with barrel theory at my work nice. as well but i would say it, it was a hazy IPA with Vic Secret and yes. Citra. Yes. And and Mosaic. A little bit of Mosaic in there as well. So. Nice, nice. So you were one of the chosen from Three Floyds, which is awesome, because they don't fuck around with anyone. It's it's really, they're, they're reaching out to you. It's not the opposite way around with Three Floyds, and I love that. That's impressive. I love that. If you could make an Adam Clemens beer. I truly think I'm drinking it right now. Amazing. <laughs> Citra hops all day long. Hazy IPAs are my my daily drinker basically so i mean this is the beer this is my favorite beer ever <laughs> i love that um i um am working really hard and i'm encouraging everyone listening to fight the hops so so we love beer we like to enjoy it but we also like to live long and you know be the best human that we can be so so what steps do you take in your daily life to fight the hops how how do you stay a little bit in shape yet being such a hophead just staying active man like that's the nice thing about my job really is like it's physical labor so i i do get a lot of good workout there and i'm also really really big into cooking which i know my wife appreciates so it's uh i always try to cook healthy food like every once in a while you got to eat like 
shit, but <laughs> you know, eat, eating healthy and staying active, man. Walking the dog. You got you got to balance out those hops. <laughs> got to fight the hops. I know it's not the hops. I know it's it's the <laughs> the malt and everything, but fight the hops sounds better. Uh, <laughs> um, one last question, um, a classic Vox and Hops wrap up question. Uh, it probably doesn't happen to you very often because you're busy writing so much music and being in so many bands and just getting married and buying a house and cooking food and brewing beer and packaging beer. Uh, but every once in a while, it happens to everyone. Uh, what is your hangover cure? Really crappy food, like the greasiest fucking burger you can possibly find and some marijuana and a TV and a couch and my dog and my cats. <laughs> wise Lots words. Wise, wise words from Adam <laughs> Clemens. <laughs> Adam, thank you so, so much for hanging out with me. Um, Garrity was right, obviously. Um, thank you for hanging out with me. This was so much fun talking about your life, music and craft beer. I am really looking forward to do this in person. I know that we would stay up very late together. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Happy to do this. Massive cheers to you. Cheers, buddy. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right today. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, Andrew Garrity was right. Man, did we ever have a great time connecting. Massive cheers to Adam for spending some time with me. I really, really enjoyed our conversation, and I cannot wait to connect again and enjoy some beers together in the flesh where we can create some new memories, hopefully with Andrew Garrity there, because uh, that is a night that I am already greatly looking forward to. If you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast mailing list. You can do it on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive two emails a month that will contain all of the details of everything that has been happening in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal podcast. You'll get to see which episodes I have dropped recently. If I've been a guest on someone else's podcast, you will be the first people to hear about any new projects that I have in the works. You'll also get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed recently, and you'll get to see which albums Jerry Monk, the metal architect himself, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist, which is available on both Apple Music and Spotify. There's just so much going on in the world of the Vox and Hops metal podcast, I'd hate for you to miss a single thing, so please do me a favor, sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hops metal podcast is brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts. I hope you have a glorious rest of the week. I have one more episode that will be dropping on Friday, and it is the Devastation on the Nation special roundtable episode. I am very stoked about this episode. You should absolutely tune into that. Until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast. A songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. 
Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.